And today we have a word from the Lord. This word might step on some toes, but you know I love you, right? You know I love you, so the best seat is the word. Thank you for reading the New Testament scripture from Philippians 2 that talks about Jesus' willingness to stoop down, how he leads, how he teaches, and how he oversees the universe. We want to get right into the word, so we want to ask for the Holy Spirit to be with us. So I invite you just where you are, if you would just bow your heads here in the building or for those friends who are joining us and guests who are joining us online, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, you've been so good to us. You have kept us from dangers, seen and unseen. You've made provision for us in ways that we could not imagine. You've taken care of our families. You have heard the secret cries of our hearts. Lord, you've understood our stories when nobody understood. Our bosses didn't understand, family didn't understand. Friends didn't understand. We didn't even understand ourselves. But you understood. You understood the impulses of our hearts. And you loved us anyway. So God, now we turn to you. Speak through me, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, for the invisibility, now the miracle to happen, that I would disappear, that Jesus would appear spiritually in the minds of your children, that the cross would be lifted up, and that only Jesus would remain. And we thank you, God, for hearing this prayer, that we're praying with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say amen and amen. As Christians, we are called to be countercultural. We are not to love the systems of the world nor the practices of the world. We are a people saved by grace, blood-washed, redeemed, and on our way to heaven. And don't you know that the time is coming very soon? Friends, as of today, literally, we are one week closer to the second coming of Jesus. And so on this journey, someone might ask us, what is our place? We live in a culture that has a relentless pursuit for the best. The best shoes, the best haircuts, the best nails, the best weave. Come on, somebody. You know I love you. The best job, the best position, the best real estate, location, 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 the best education, the best relationships, and the best seat in the house. And somebody might ask, well, Pastor Carmona, what's wrong with, with wanting the best? Church, God has a place for us in the framework of his love, and that framework is existing in relationship with him. To answer the question, wanting good things or the best of all things comes from the desire implanted by God himself to seek the divine. Who we want really is Jesus. Jesus, who is the adoration of the angelic host, he is the best. And he goes beyond the very definition of best and how we define best. And so may I submit that perhaps it is not that God doesn't want the best. It, 
it just matters how we define the word best. And it also matters who tells us what best is. You see, Jesus is so amazing. Jesus is better than the word best, which is defined as to the highest degree. Oh, Jesus is better than the noun, the most excellent, outstanding, or desirable. Jesus is even better than our imagination of what he is like. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that eyes have not seen, that ears have not heard what has entered or even what has entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I remember as a teenager, my friends and I would sit down and we would begin to imagine what heaven was like. And we would have these fantastic ideas, mountains of mint chocolate chip uh, cookies, cre- cookies and cream ice cream. Come on, somebody. Don't, don't hate me. Don't judge on me. Just love me. Uh, God's not done working with me yet. Oh, we'd have rivers of root beer. And clearly those things had entered into our imagination, which means that's not what heaven is like. Heaven is better than that. Heaven is not just a place. Don't you know that Jesus is waiting for us there? He's the one who fills our lives with meaning and purpose and invites us into places that we could never imagine. Before we know our place, we must know Jesus. Now, the phrase knowing our place doesn't sit well with many Americans being free-spirited and independent, and we so often our The last four letters in American are, I can. We don't like this idea of having a place. We say, I'll do what I want and be who I want to be and do whatever I want to do. But the scriptures teach us, family, that we will only find true peace when we find our place in God's will for our lives. There is a paradox here. The one who does whatever he wants to do is actually a slave of sin, which eventually makes us miserable and destroys us. But the one who is a child of the king, how many children of the king do we have in the house? Doing what God wants is free, truly free, to find peace and contentment. That's because God made us in his image, designed to walk in his ways. The ways of Jesus, according to our scripture, are to descend. The ways of God are stooping ways. Specifically, God has given each one of us gifts and callings, and it is only when we begin to align our lives to his will that we will know true contentment and joy. And even if things are hard, we know that we are right where we need to be. So then, Pastor, what is the best Seat. Well, there's a word from the Lord. I wanted to invite you in your mind's eye to come to a party. Do you like parties? It's a dinner party. Uh-huh. Jesus has been invited to this dinner party in the book of Luke. And if you're going to have a dinner, make sure you invite Jesus to come to the dinner. They got that part right. It's not just any dinner party. It's a Sabbath dinner party. Mm-hmm. And since it was Sabbath, mm -hmm, they went to church on Sabbath. That means it happened after church. So this is the equivalent for us of a 
Sabbath potluck at someone's house. The host at this dinner had lots of influence. He was prominent in his community. And if we go to the word of God in Luke chapter 14, verse 1, we see the story unfolding of everybody trying to find the best seat. And don't you know that Jesus is watching? The word of God says, now it happened. This is Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. Hmm. There's the background to the story. Jesus is getting ready to teach, and you know that Jesus does all things well because he is eternally partnered with his Father. There are some lessons that divinity needs to teach humanity about our places in life and about what the best seat is. This is the house of a Pharisee. Pharisees were known to travel in groups, right? And we see here from Luke chapter 14, verse 3, that there are other Pharisees at the dinner, and they have invited the professors of the law university, the teachers of the law. Mm -hmm. So the place is set. Mm -hmm. You know the food has got to be amazing, right? Because this is a dinner party with the top of the top people. By now you know that it's Sabbath, which means the food has been prepared the night before. And so each party, you must know about how the Pharisees handled their parties, that when it came to hospitality, nobody could touch them when it came to hospitality. Their hospitality was state of the art. They were experts at showing hospitality to each other. Mm -hmm. Each party that they went to was an attempt to outdo the previous party that they went to last week. There would be at these parties shows and theater of humility. Oh, Rabbi, I'm so glad that you came to my, to my humble abode. If only, if only my party could just be half of the party that we saw last week when you brought in all of those amazing, delicious fruit from Syria and from Jericho. One day when I grow up, Rabbi, I want to be like you. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And so when you would hear this, right, party after party would be set up for the next person who was scheduled on the party schedule, right? And so that person then is in a snare in this upward spiral of trying to beat the last person. And the understanding is, I wonder who can give the best dinner party on Sabbath, and by doing so, you would earn a badge of honor for pretending to be humble. But really, you want to make sure that your rice and peas are just right. And by extension, when you did that, you would add a feather, a star, credibility to your name and reputation. And make sure you understand that the people who came to this party were either your equals or those who were higher. So in the midst of this party, the original hearers from Dr. Luke come to verse 2, verse 2 for us, the next statement after verse 1. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body, from dropsy. What? Immediately, if you would have heard this in that time, you would have asked yourself, how does this man who is sick end up uh -huh, at this party with these VIPs? 
How did you get there? Dr. Luke, he's, 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 he's kind of tantalizing the hearer. He's suggesting that this might be a setup because Jesus is being watched closely. You would not normally invite somebody who's a leper or who's sick, who has some disability or has some kind of problem to this party. They, they're not welcome at this kind of party on Sabbath. They, they wouldn't be anywhere near that house, right? So, so they're trying to set him up. We don't know how he gets there. It just says, and he's there. It is as though he simply appeared. How did you get there? And you know that the Pharisees also had their security, right? So if you tried to come in on, on your own, they would be like, Og, we need you to, you know, they were just going to do one of these, and off you went. You're not just going to stay if they don't want you to stay. There's a reason for this man with dropsy being at this party. Do you see what's going on? We're talking about who has the best seat, right? And so, ah, he, 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 they're, being, they're watching Jesus to see what he will do. Mm-hmm. What will you do on Sabbath with this man who is sick, and everyone who is important, everyone who's anyone, is there at dinner eating some olives with some hummus. What's he going to do now? Here is our first lesson in the word. They were trying to set Jesus up, and he was being watched closely. But if I want to let you know that if you are a servant of the Most High God, just like Jesus, people are going to be watching you closely. Come on, somebody, for their own reasons, good, bad, and ugly now. They're going to watch you and see what you say. They're going to watch you and see how you uh, respond. Friends, you are being watched. The lesson here is for those who are watching you to hurt you, they don't know that they are being watched too. Come on, somebody. They are being watched by God the Father, by God the Son, and by God the Holy Ghost. And if... In their imagination, they are planning an ambush, an attack, setting up a snare. You need to know today that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Come on, somebody, because your life has been bought with the life of Jesus. Oh, they might think that you are in the best seat. That's why they're watching you. And they have issues with the way that you don't joke or laugh at those salacious jokes. Where are you going to every Sabbath morning? To a funeral home? Like, where, where are you going? I know you're not going to Costco. Hmm. doesn't matter why they're watching you. You just invite Jesus into your day every day and watch what happens to those who are watching you. Listen, I've been in ministry now for at least three, 20 decades, uh, three, uh, two decades, 20 plus years. I want to share with you that in those years, there have been individuals who might have had beef with myself and Elder Dana for no reason, then we just walked in the door. And I want to share with you that the best response to somebody who has beef with you is you pray for that person. Mm-hmm. God called you. I didn't call myself. I can pray. If you've heard my testimony, you know that I was running all around the mulberry bush, and God was just like, you can run wherever you want to. You're in my hand. He caught up with me, Okay. Meaning I didn't call myself into ministry, which means that God called me. Did God call you where you are? Yes, he is calling each one of us. What am I saying? I'm saying that if someone is hating on you, you pray for that person. You pray for their what? God protect them because they don't know what they're doing. 
Uh-huh. There have been examples in the Bible of people who have tried to set up the pe- against the people of God, and it hasn't gone well for them. You know what God is capable of for the people who hate his children. You're asking God, God, have mercy on my haters who are trying to come after me. Uh-huh. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The thing, the snare that they're setting up for me, the Bible is telling us that eventually they're going to fall in that same snare. Oh, God, please forgive them. Don't let that. You're just going to let them fall in that snare? The snare they're prepared. You're not going to fall in that snare. They're going to fall in the snare. So you pray for them. Say, God, please don't let them fall in that snare. My, it's mighty quiet in here. (laughs) That's what Jesus did for you and me when he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Everybody wanted the best seat at that party. The way that people want the best seat, the top brass, at a stadium during Super Bowl. And I did a little research because I didn't know. Ticketmaster currently has nosebleeds, that means in the stadium way up high, for a Super Bowl um, game around $5,100 a pop. Those would be the seats that you need, the binoculars to see the game, it's so far away. Um, People might say, well, that's not the best seat with convenience fees and processing that, that ticket will go up to about $6,600 to sit far, far away from the game. But if that it's not a good enough seat for you, you could also have the option, according to StubHub, uh, to get a sideline ticket. You want to come down right to, the, right to the very place where the action is happening for the Super Bowl, and that ticket will cost you $99,999. Come on, somebody. What a deal, right? $999,999 to see a game. Now remember that with processing expenses and fees, that's going to go up to 126 k But if that seat doesn't seem good enough, if that's not the best seat, there's another option. That means if you have the cash, you can get yourself at the Super Bowl a suite. Come on, somebody. A suite that's way up high at 540000 That's where it starts, and it depends on what kind of suite because it can go all the way up to $1.3 million to get yourself a seat. I'm talking about the loft suite level at the State Farm Stadium that's located in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's located on a separate private suite concourse available to only loft suite ticket holders. The private nature of the loft gives a feeling of exclusivity not found in the suite level club. Come on, you're only, if you're in the million dollar club, you can't get into this, into this kind of deal. Oh, it it's typically includes an 18 to 24 suite tickets. In other words, up to 24 people can fit in there. It has its own restroom. And most are configured with 12 stadium-style seats on a private open-air balcony overseeking the, the field. Additional bar stools and lounge seats are located deeper in the suite. You're going to have to pay extra for the bar stools. And these boxes come with your own parking, right? You don't have to deal with the parking everybody else deals with, right? It's exclusive VIP parking and premium in-suite catering options, the best of the, of the best. And it has exclusive access, of course, to the bars and restaurants, meaning they have their own bars and restaurants catering to them. That is the best seat, somebody would say. But Luke is, is wagging his head at that kind of ideology because regrettably that system has somehow triggered and made its way into the church. Mm-hmm. I know not this church, 
I'm talking about church in general. I don't know if you remember, maybe I'm showing my age here, having grown up partly in Puerto Rico, partly in New England, but some of those older, older church buildings, you would walk in and the pews, well, you, this, you don't know what this is. I'm just going to tell you something you've never heard of, but the pews had been donated by people. And in the style of the old-fashioned world in, in Europe, right, the more expensive the donation to the pew, the closer it was to the altar. Right, so literally, somebody can come, and I'm not, I'm not hating on where you like to sit. I usually like to sit right over here on this side. There's nothing wrong with this side or this side, but if you were sitting in someone's pew, that wasn't just their preference. That was their pew. Right, and if, and, if, and if you had a problem, they could just show you because there was a plaque on the pew that said, you know, such and such family has donated this pew. And then they would, they would ask you, what's your last name? Yeah, you, I didn't know. This is mine. And then you'd kind of, like, you know, they'd have to go sit in the back where I would be sitting. I'd be sitting way in the back somewhere, right? So you need to know that this man, poor man, who was sick, comes in front of Jesus, and Jesus sees him. He sees that he, that he needs to be healed. He sees the, the, the machinations, the conniving, the backstory. He understands it all. And he probably had no way of knowing why he's there. It doesn't matter to Jesus. He wants to heal him, and he's going to heal him anyhow. Come on, somebody. Don't you want to be healed today? It doesn't matter how you got to where you are, but you need Jesus to touch you. The Sabbath meal would carry a strong social context. The man understood that, but there he is. His body is swollen. He can't move. And then, doesn't matter what they were expecting, Jesus heals the man. The Bible says he grabbed a hold of him. Come on, somebody. That means Jesus touched him. Jesus laid his hands on him. Didn't matter what label they had called him. It didn't matter to Jesus. Clean, unclean, trying to get clean. Jesus touched him and healed him. It just took one touch. Don't you need a touch today? I mean, isn't today the Sabbath? Oh, this was a harsh lesson for the Pharisees. Don't get mad at me. This is what Jesus did. This is what the Bible is saying. Don't get mad at this miracle. Jesus loves you. Ipsy, Ipsy, Jesus loves you. Don't get mad at what this lesson is trying to explain to us. That, that lesson number two, that Sabbath is a day to serve and relieve suffering. I'm going to say it again, and I'll just preach it to myself. Sabbath is a day to serve and relieve suffering. This was a harsh lesson for the Pharisees. You, saw, you see, there is no biblical prohibition because Jesus went into teaching the Pharisees right after. If your son or ox falls into a well, wouldn't you pull them out? Right? There's no biblical prohibition of doing that. The Bible doesn't say that you can't pull out either an ox or your son from a well. So where did the, why is he saying that? Because they had invented that rule. Uh -huh. They created that policy, that regulation, to make it seem like 
God needed a, spe- a special regulation to help somebody who was suffering on Sabbath. And then, decade after decade, they kept teaching people that this is what God is like. And so people didn't, didn't, couldn't understand, if my leg is in pain, what, what, why, why can I not get that leg fixed on the Sabbath? So this must mean that, that the God that I serve wants me to be in pain all week, and on Sabbath, he also wants me to be in pain too? Okay, Mm-mm. Jesus was going to deal with that, and he dealt with it directly. The word of God to these people wasn't good enough. They were not understanding the character of God. They invented these, standard, um, uh, uh, these standards, and they became the standards police. They became the dress police. They became the reform police. How devoid of grace. How unlike Jesus. Jesus was teaching them that the God of the universe heals on the Sabbath day, that his character had been bashed uh, by these add-on regulations, and Jesus was not going to stay silent on it, no matter whose feelings were heard about it, that the God of Shabbat loved them, and that, yes, he was going to step on their toes, but that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. What am I saying? They had taught them that you can wait to be healed until the sun sets. The man with dropsy was not in an emergency room. He was not in an intensive care facility. He wasn't lacking oxygen. So the teaching was back then, you are not to participate in any physical activity that will restore you unless it's life-threatening until the sun sets. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't like that. In other words, if you've had a pain in your molar and you have wake up with a pain on your molar on Sabbath day, if Jesus found out that your molar was hurting, he would go and touch your jaw. If you went to the Pharisees, they'd have to they'd say, can I go to the doctor? No, you're going to have to wait until sunset. Because that's sin to get yourself healed on the Sabbath. Jesus demolished that argument. And they were mad at him. If you are some kind of health care provider, mm, the teaching was you should not do anything that makes it even look like you're working or healing on Sabbath. If you are a dentist, a doctor, a dental hygienist, and you're trying to help somebody on Sabbath, that's a sin. Jesus demolished that. Mm-hmm, mm-mm, you're not, and guess what? Because the day of Sabbath is not just a day to meet God. It is a getaway with Jesus. Come away with me is what he says over and over again in the Song of Songs. It is a song between a husband and a wife, a newlywed couple. Come away with me, babe. Come away with me. I've been with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and your presence is with me Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But on this day, we're getting away from it all. It's just you and me. It's intimacy where you and I understand it's just you and me. Are you in pain? Uh Uh-uh. If you had the capacity of touching someone's, of just touching someone's molar on Sabbath morning and healing them, wouldn't you do that? So then why do we think that Jesus wouldn't do that? Mm Mm-mm. Lesson number two, the God that we serve believes in restoring people. Sabbath is a day of restoration. Sabbath is a day to serve and relieve suffering. So back to the party. Whoever invited you to the table would be responsible to making sure that you sat at the right place. Oh boy, here we go. 
the best seat. Jesus is watching, verse 7 says, as everyone is manipulating and telling you, no, you go over here. No. Rabbi Ben Asher over here. No. Let's put Joseph in the back. Right? Because it was a, a, a table that was kind of like a, like a kidney-shaped table. Right? And so at the head of the table, right, in the Jewish tradition, in the Greek tradition, it would be a long table where the head of the table is at the top. But in the Jewish tradition, it's this Greek, it's this, it's this U-shaped kidney table. The head, the person, the VIP, sits at the top of the, of the curve. It's kind of, and it's down low, it's, and they recline on their left elbow, right? So, so then the person of position who is most cl- closest to them would be to the right on this side. To the right would be the person who's most important closest to this person, uh, and then the other seat would be the other person on this side, so to the right and to the left of, that, of the VIP. And then in levels of importance, you would sit as close as you could to the person who's at the top of the table. And so everyone's looking to see who's going to sit at the top of the table, and Jesus then explains to them, listen, don't, when you come to a party, just sit in the back. Very direct. Don't don't go sitting yourself because you know, somebody could move, ask you to move. You'd be embarrassing. Jesus is injured. Lesson. See the other lesson. Lesson number three. Jesus doesn't want to, want you to be embarrassed. Isn't that wonderful? That's good for me. That's great for me because I'm always doing things that embarrass myself. Jesus doesn't want you to be embarrassed. He's like no, well, you better not say that. You know. So so what are we saying? Jesus is looking out for how you look to other people, right? He doesn't want to embarrass you or put you in a place where you're going to have to then. They're going to have to call Og, right? Og's going, we need you to come. You're going to have to move. You can't sit there. Why? Because that somebody of what? Of a greater importance than you, according to that system, is coming, and you're not that person, right? It has been determined that you're not the VIP. You need to go to the back, right? So Jesus is trying to save them and the system. They're trying to put on airs of greatness, but they don't know that the, the seat that they are negotiating is really to sit to the right hand of Satan's seat in the deep end of the lake of fire. They are trying to be as close as they can to Satan, and they don't even know it. But you need to know that that lake of fire has not been prepared for any human being because God believes in prepared places before he brought his children into existence. He designed an entire planet first, and then he brought the kids. He thought about their needs and their exquisite delights. How could anyone accuse God of trying to withhold pleasure when in this gorgeous planet that he created, he made a garden of pleasure and delight, which is another word for Eden, the garden of pleasure. That's what it means. When we realize all this time that all this time he's, trying, he's been trying to make our home a little Eden, according to his original blueprint, that's what real pleasure is. That's where the real joy is in our homes. And so the seat that they were trying to find close to Jesus would be the seat where Jesus is at the very bottom of what they call the pecking order. The God who descends and subordinates himself. The God who submits himself. The God who submits himself over and over, oh, he's going to prepare a place for you. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, I'm ending now. When all things are made subject to him, this is at the end of all time, right? 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about 
what happens after the third coming, after Jesus returns with the new Jerusalem, now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. What? What? That all things will be subject to him who put all things under him, that because of the way Philippians 2 told, that the way that God, that Jesus submitted himself, lower and lower, completely to the very bottom floor and beyond, God exalted him and gave him access to all things, that Jesus, the Godhead has given all things and put and subordinated all things to the feet of Jesus. That Jesus is at the head of all things. And they're saying that at the end, the one who has all things subordinated to him, that Jesus again will subordinate himself again throughout eternity. Jesus will submit himself again to God. After all the submitting that he did, he will spend the rest of eternity in a position of submission. Who did not consider it a a robbery to be equal with God because he is God. He submitted himself. How could anyone think that they deserve a better seat than Jesus? When his seat is is as low as you can go, meaning that if you want the best seat, you will also give up your seat. We will also give up our seat. Jesus descended. He stooped down. He took the lowest seat. I remember a time, it was years ago, Bill. Can't believe it's probably more than 30 years ago. You might have heard me say the story. I was in the military. I just joined basic training that one wild summer in the red clays of Fort McClellan, Alabama. It's closed now. But I remember during that, those first couple of weeks were very tense for everyone. No one got a lot of sleep. The soldiers were all sleepy. The drill sergeant, even worse, were sleepy and angry all the time. Well, I remember this one drill sergeant was very interested in me and not in a kind way. And uh, he said to me, Carmona, are you trying to make fun of me, Carmona? I said, no, no, drill sergeant. I'll be watching you. I kind of nodded my head. This one day we went into the chow hall uh, cafeteria to get some food and we were assured our platoon that on that day maybe we could get something to eat but we weren't going to be sitting down that when we went through the line we could get food and whatever we could take in our hand that was going to be the food and the drill sergeant pulled me aside and said you know what I'm going to be watching you Carmona so I had no intentions of, disapp- I did not want to disappoint my drill sergeant. <laughs> so, I, so, I, so we went in and they're watching us. And they said, remember, you get that food, you get back out to the sidewalk and you get yourself in formation. So I was not interested in disobeying my drill sergeant at all. Got whatever I could in my hand, some green beans or something, mashed potatoes, stuffed it down. I ran out, the, ran out of the cafeteria, out of the chow hall, came around the corner, saw somebody. I was like, hey man, I gotta go. I bumped into somebody and I ran to the to the sidewalk. I was so happy I got in the best seat. I was in the position that I needed to be in. My drill sergeant saw it, everybody else saw it. I'd gotten to the top, the first in line, first. So as I'm standing there trying to swallow the green beans, I hear one of my comrades coming out of the chow hall 
screaming at the top of his lungs, Carmona! Carmona, what have you done? What have you done, Carmona? So he comes running up, Carmona, Carmona, what have you done? I turn around like, what is it? What, what are you talking about? He said, when you came out of the chow hall, you bumped into the post commander and you knocked him over flat on his back, Carmona. Now, for those of you who are civilians, you're like, oh, so what? So well, you have no idea the authority that a post commander, a three-star general can have. You have no idea. If a three-star general is, even if they're just mentioning the story in passing, and his subordinate, a two-star general, doesn't like the way he said it, he can make the life of your commander miserable. And if your commander is miserable, your captain, guess what? Everybody else is going to be miserable, even if that general isn't trying to hurt you. So I thought to myself, I'm going to go to prison now. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to talk to my bunkmate about in prison, how long I'm going to be there. I'm like, man, I wonder you know, if they have like three squares of meal a day. Another soldier comes out, Carmona, what have you done? People are trying to get up the post commander. He's on the ground still, Carmona. So I'm like, there's only one word I could say. There's only one word that came out of my mouth. No. And I kept saying the word, no. No, as more soldiers kept, I kept adding, no. No, finally. I heard one soldier running up to the group of us that were trying to support me. And he said, Carmona, it's all right, Carmona, it's all right. And I, said, and I, said, I heard what he said. I said, shh, 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 listen to what he's saying, listen. So he came running up, and that young man told me news that was so amazing news. He said to me, Carmona, the general sent me with some news. He said, don't worry about it, it's okay, Carmona. He's all right, he's back on his feet now, Carmona. He said, he said it's all right, you're not in trouble or anything. And I said, what? me. You're the only Carmona here. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. He said, it's okay. He said, don't worry about it. And he also said to tell you that this happens to him more often than you would think. Grace found me that day. I could have been in a world of trouble, but that person, that general, the one who was in command, even though I did him harm, regardless of whether I meant to or not, he realized what was going on, and he forgave me anyway. Don't you know that post commander was amazing? I've always looked up to him, but you need to know that Jesus is better than that post commander. No matter whether the issues are self-inflicted or not, God is saying to us, I've sent Jesus. I've sent Jesus. I understand the impulses of your heart. I understand the issues that you're going through. That's why I sent Jesus, and that's why you need Jesus, who has the best seat. Would you like to recommit your life to Jesus one more time, the one who invites you to a life of eternity with him? Remember, his seat, he is a king, the real king, the king of kings, and his seat is very low. Would you like to recommit yourself to someone like that? He's very safe. He won't hurt you. He's very approachable. And he's a great friend. If you'd like to do that, just raise your hand. Just put your hand 
up in the air, and we will close with prayer. Father in heaven, you see the hands of your children. So many times, Lord, we have taken the bait. We have been deceived by what we think is the best position, the best place in our lives, in our careers, in our families. But, oh God, to be next to Jesus is the best seat. So your people want that seat. Receive them today is my prayer. Thank you for hearing us and for sending Jesus to be the author and the finisher of our faith. Receive this prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say amen and amen.